Excellent. Thank you, David. And as uh, he's just saying about that name, that name Jesus, that's really what the book of Revelation is all about. So often we think about Revelation is thinking about what is coming, and that is true, and we're in that section where it talks a lot about what is coming, but uh, you, you don't get to that point until you understand who is coming. And so as we look in God's Word this morning, we want to make sure that uh, we see Jesus in the midst of all that is happening. Uh, so before we do that, let's look to the Lord in prayer one more time. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for just the opportunity to reflect upon who Jesus is and what he has done, what he is doing, and as we look in your word, what he will do. And we pray in the midst of all that, we might recognize that, that you began it all and you uh, make it all still happen, but even more so as we look at this last book in your revelation, it, it speaks about that you will end all things according to your purposes and according to your plan. Help us to be prepared and ready. And we, and we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, turn to Revelation chapter 12. It's where we'll, we'll end up uh, this morning as we continue in our, our series and looking at what, who is coming and what is coming. But as I was looking at this, I've entitled the message, Winning the War. And uh, sometimes we're, we're aware of the battle and the war that's going around, and sometimes we're not. But sometimes all we have to do is kind of just step back and think for a moment about things in our life, and then we realize that, that there, are, there are a number of things in our life that, that come about unexpected and unwanted. Have you uh, found that to be there's some things that happen unexpected and unwanted? And hopefully um, a number of you have, have fought in uh, world wars, and um, there might have been a period of time uh, when you expected it because you saw the, 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 the storms of war happening. But no, really, no one in, in, with any sane mind wants to be in a war. But war, though it be unwanted, happens, and, and though it's unwanted and it happens, uh, even if we're really realizing even the depths of what happens when you're in it, it's the things that happen in it are unexpected. And that's true in life as well. Uh, I was sharing in the first service just really quickly is that in one of my life groups, uh, Janet Oddie, and I shared with you a couple weeks ago, uh, she had had some difficulty on her neck, and she went in for a doctor appointment, and they thought they had solved it and sent her home. And then a few weeks later, she went in again because she was experiencing some other pain other, in other places in her body, and they discovered what had happened was that she actually had lymphoma. And she was showing me this week, they've now diagnosed that it's the fourth stage of lymphoma. Now, the good news is that she's convinced, and the doctors are assuring her they think they can get it. And so that which was unexpected and unwanted, at least there's hope in the midst of what she's going through. But others go through the same thing. Jack English uh, was experiencing a lot of out-of-breath experiences and went in for a checkup, and they recognized that they needed to uh, replace a heart valve and some bypasses. Unexpected and unwanted. Tom Green, who's been, he predates my coming to the church, has had cancer for over 30 years and had a blockage and they went in uh, to deal with it, and they, they took out 16 and a half feet of intestine. Totally unexpected and very much so unwanted. That happens in life. Uh, we live in a battle zone. If it's not a, a visible enemy, it's just the, the hardships of life. And not only in the dramatic area, sometimes it's the, the everyday things that just trip us up. This morning, uh, this, not this morning, but this week, I was came out of my garage and discovered that I have a flat tire. You know, there's a nail in my tire, and so I had a mess with that. Unexpected and definitely unwanted. Um, and then uh, another day this week, I, 
Did you notice we had some rain? I mean, we've been in a drought. We had some rain. That's all great. But if you live where I live, which has a lot of trees, we're surrounded by trees. And whenever you have any kind of wind or any kind of precipitation, it all comes down on your roof and then fills up your gutter. So I, I said, I need to be prepared for that next year when we have rain. So I got up on top of my roof to blow everything off and clean my gutters. And so I got off the ladder, got up on my roof, and, and as I was doing that, uh, all of a sudden I heard this crash. And, and then I went to the edge of the roof where I got on. I realized that I'd wrapped my, my cord around the ladder, and I knocked off my ladder. And so you, you've heard that people up a creek without a paddle. So here's a pasture up a, up a, up a roof without a ladder, all right? And, and, you know, unexpected and unwanted. And when you look at the book of Revelation, I, I don't know, it doesn't matter how you come to this book, whether you're, you're still undecided about is Jesus really who he claimed to be and are the amazing things you read in this book really true? Are they really going to happen? Or whether you believe it all and you still read it, you still look at this and say, it's hard to imagine that we ought to expect that this will come to pass. And no matter how much happens in this world, I, I wouldn't want this to be the experience of my worst of enemies. And yet, as, as God is compassionate and gracious and patient, God's wrath will come. And for many, it will be unexpected. And for all, it will be unwanted. But what he gives this book for, all of it, but particularly this last book, is to give people a warning one, as I understand Scripture, to be able to escape this period of time, which would be like no other time that has ever been or will be, and particularly to escape the judgment that is at the end. And, and the hope is that if you respond, then you'll experience that which will bring you life, and you don't have to go through this, which God has planned for the end of the ages to right all wrongs and bring judgment upon this world. And, and this, this is what we would describe as that which is unexpected and unwanted is part of this cosmic war that has raged throughout time. And so what I want to do this morning, in the time I have, and kind of learning from my first service to this service, is there's a lot to cover here, but I want to put it in some big ideas. And as I was wrestling with this chapter, in many ways, I was trying to figure out what things am I going to talk about and try to explain, and what things I'm going to try to leave out. And then I said, well, one way to approach this, I'll just ask of this text questions. And, and that's really, if you've ever wondered, how do you study the Bible? It's not as hard as you think it is. I mean, it, it could be a challenge in various portions, but basically when you study the Bible, you ask the Bible questions. And you just ask, well, what does this mean? You know, why is this happening? Where is it happening? Who's involved? Uh, how am I supposed to respond to this? Or, or how does this happen in the text? And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to ask the, the age-old questions. There aren't any more questions than this. Who, what, when, where, why, and how of what's happening in this book that unveils who Jesus is and what is to come. And so if you have your outlines this morning, we'll, we'll kind of help you along with this as we ask these basic questions. And one looks back a little bit to chapter 11 as we think about this war that that is in some ways still raging, though the war has been won. When Jesus went to the cross and rose from the dead, the verdict had been settled. But though the wars were won, just like in World War II, there came a point where we, that Allied forces, realized that we had defeated Germany, but there were many battles still to be fought until there, were, there was occupation completely 
and that a sentence would be made upon those who were fighting against the Allied forces. Well, that's how it is now. Uh, the war's been won, and the war will be won, but there will be battles now and to come, and the battles will rage much more in the future. And, and we need to realize, well, how, how, do, how are we supposed to understand this and respond to this? Well, let's try to wrestle with that this morning. First of all, the war has been won, and, and, and in, a, in a sense, I wanted to ask this question. Where will winning this war be celebrated? And in particular wars, there have been times where there have been parades and people um, just shouting from rooftops about uh, those who have fought the good fight and have brought freedom into a, into a world. Where will this battle be uh, celebrated? Well, the Bible says it will be in heaven and implied also on earth. And you can find that in Zechariah chapters 13 and 14, as God fully rules in this world. Let me just read quickly Revelation 11 through 15, uh, 15 through 17. Then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven, saying, The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. He's going to rule. And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God, this is in heaven, fell on their knees and worshiped God, saying, We give you thanks, O Lord God, the Almighty, who are and who were, because you have taken your great power and begun to reign. So as we, again, look at all the details of this, this war that has been won at the cross and will be fully consummated in Jesus' return is that we ought to, in the midst of all the things that we go through life now, unexpected and wanted, uh, put them in light of eternity and give thanks that we now can know that we can be on the winning side rather than on the losing side. Isn't it, no matter what you're involved in, isn't it always so much better to be on the winning side than the losing side? And that's what it's saying here. And, and those in heaven, we don't know how much they are visualizing what is happening on earth, but they're getting reports, you know, you know, people might not be on the front lines in a war, but they get reports from the, the battlefield. And this is what's happening in heaven. And, and as they see this final trumpet, this, this, the start of the last battle that will be won to consummate the victory, they are just filled with thanksgiving. And so no matter how much you struggle in life, put it in light of, of eternity and recognize that, that you can be on the winning side if you put your trust and faith in Christ and you can look forward to that day when God reigns perfectly in heaven, but also perfectly here on earth. Well, how long has this war been going on? Did this just happen? Well, really, it's, it's been throughout history. And we see this cosmic war beginning with, with that evil one, Lucifer, who rebelled against God. Look at Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 through 15. How you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, son of the dawn. You have been cut down to the earth. You have weakened the nations. But you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. And just stopping for a moment. When you really look at what is the essence of sin, you know, sin manifests itself in the things we do in terms of lying or being hateful or, or taking that which is not our own, uh, stealing that which is... Uh, somebody else's property. It could be in the words we say to people. It could be um, gossiping about others. It could be bringing physical harm to others. Those are manifestations of sin. What real sin is, is, is I want to be in charge of my life, and I don't care what God thinks. And see, that's what, that's what Lucifer did with God. He said, I, I want to raise myself above the heights 
of God, above the stars of God. Then I will sit on the mount of assembly and on the recesses of the north. I will sin above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Nevertheless, you will be thrust down to Sheol, to the recesses of the pit. And so from the very beginning, the evil one who, who went against God, his verdict was settled. You're going to be judged for eternity in the pit. But it had not been consummated. And then God created man, and he gave them one, one thing to do, which to reflect their obedience and trust in him. And it says in Genesis 2, 17, For from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. From the day that you eat from it you shall surely, what? Die. Now, they didn't die physically, but what, die, what death is in the Bible is separation. Now, metaphorically, when we die, we're separated from our ability to breathe and function on this earth than how we used to function on this earth. But the death he's talking about, because they didn't die initially physically, but they became separated from God. But this war that's been going on from the very beginning, uh, God has said from the very beginning that he was going to win this war. Genesis 3.15 says this, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. And that's, again, kind of pictorial language to say this, okay, the serpent, who was the physical manifestation of, of the devil or Satan. You, you think you've won by causing those whom I've created and made in my image to rebel against me by eating of the forbidden fruit. I, I want you to know that I'm going to take out of the seed of that woman and I'm going to take all that belong to you, your seed, and I will win that war. Now, there's going to be a battle, and what you're going to do is you're going to bruise the heel of the one that I'm going to bring, which is the Messiah to come, out of the seed of the woman came Jesus. But out of your seed, what you're going to do is, is uh, you're, going to, you're going to bruise that heel, but what I'm going to do with the seed that comes out of the womb of the woman, I'm going to give you a fatal blow to the head. And, and so from the very beginning, God says, look, there's going to be a battle, but I'm going to win. Now, let me just step back again to give a, give kind of a, a practical note on this. When we're, when we're in a battle, when we're in a war, or, or as I try to start out the, the message, when we're experiencing things unexpected and unwanted, okay, does anybody, has anybody ever had that happen to you? you? There's some things you wish did not happen, did not expect to happen, and they did happen. And, and, and sometimes the, the first question comes to my mind when that happens, well, how long? How long am I going to go through this? You know, how long is it going to take me to fix my tire? When I'm up on the roof, how long am I going to be up on this roof without a ladder, right? I looked to my left, my neighbor was in his house. Looked to my right, my neighbors were in their house. Looked across the street, my neighbors were in their house. I looked for Alice, she was nowhere to be found. <laughs> and, and that was the first thing, how long is this going to go on, you know? And I don't have time to tell you what happened, but anyway, I got off. Okay, so, but you know, we want, and I want, th this battle is going to continue on until Jesus comes again. And so we need to expect there's going to be things happening in our life that are unexpected and unwanted. And God is saying about some things that are going to happen for this whole world that's going to be unexpected for most of them and unwanted. But still there's hope because those who will turn to him, God will rescue. Well, that's a backdrop. We run into Revelation chapter 12. And, and, and we, we've begun that section where God is speaking even more so in, in word pictures to describe about that, what is to come. 
We talked about God sending that strong angel in, in chapter 10, and he puts a foot on, on land and on the sea, marking off, this is God's territory. I'm taking everything back. He, he gives a book to John to read, and not only him, but uh, to all of us, and not only to read, actually, but to eat. And he said, this is the message I want you to get out and proclaim. It's a message that's both sweet and bitter. And that happens when we present the gospel. Some people respond to it and with faith, and some people reject it almost in anger. And then he says, okay, I want you to understand, there's, there's some specific things I'm going to do during this period of time that I described for you back from the beginning. In the days of Daniel, there's going to be a, a seven-year period in which things will begin with peace, and then, then that, and then all hell will break loose. And halfway through that period of time, uh, there will be a, a breaking of the covenant between that, that one who is instead of Christ or against Christ, the Antichrist. He'll break that promise he made with Israel. But when he does that, I want you to understand that i still got things under control, though judgment is coming. He said, what I want you to do is I want you to measure the temple. And that temple is that place where real worship is going on. And not only measure where they're worshiping, but measuring the people that are worshiping. Which means I, I know who are mine. But on the outside of that, and he said it's like the court of the Gentiles who were not be able to participate in that worship, don't even measure them because they're not going to be mine. And he says, what I'm going to do is I'm going to, I'm going to demonstrate in a powerful way the message of the gospel and the reality of the truth of the gospel. I'm going to give two witnesses. They're going to come. And we don't know who they are. They aren't identified. They could have been Moses or Elijah or Enoch. There's a number of different ideas. And they're going to preach the gospel for three and a half years, and no one is going to be able to overcome them. In fact, when they are tried to be overtaken, judgment will come out. Fire will consume the people who tried to take their lives. But the enemy will come. And he will show his power, and he will put those two to death. And he thinks he's winning, but he's actually not. The battle is raging. The war's been won. But individual battles will go back and forth. And after three and a half days, these two witnesses will rise from the dead and then will be ascended into heaven. God demonstrate, even in the midst of those who rebel, the gospel is presented so people can hear and people can respond. And then he goes on in chapter 12, and he, he takes another step back. He says, again, I, I want to give you a picture of how long this battle has been going on and how, how this has not been uh, just thought of, you know, in the last moment. This has been the, the story or his story that's been played out. And he pictures it in this way. And what we'll answer now, after we've looked at where is this war going to be celebrated, it's going to be celebrated in heaven and on earth. How long has it happened? It's been going on forever. Who is, who is in this war? And we know in every, every war there are, there are players. Everyone is playing in a war in this sense because it, whether it's your loved one is battling on the battlefield and you're longing for them to be safe and protected or whether you're on the front lines, you're in that war. But there are those who are, are really moving the pieces, you know, the, the, the pieces on that, that chess table in terms of the, the, the big movers. And he, and he gives us the, the things that are going on in terms of, of that are kind of driving this. And, and, and here it is. And basically, you would put the, the people who are in this war are those who are on God's side and those who are on Satan's side. That's as, as simple as I could put it. In this war, there are those on God's side and those who are on Satan's side. But then here's some, some specifics. Look at it in Revelation chapter 12, verse 1. <sighs> okay, that, take a breath here. A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. And this is why a lot of people read the book of Revelation and they stop. They say, I have no idea what you're talking about. And some of you might be very familiar with this language here. 
But what, what, what happens here is that God, again, portrays what has happened throughout history. And, and what God has done throughout history, particularly as, as he began to play out his plan, was to pick a chosen people to illustrate the reality of who he is and what he can do in people's lives. And so he, 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 he chose Abraham out of Ur, and he developed a, a nation miraculously by bringing a child into a childless home, and that would be God's covenant people, Israel. And throughout the book of, uh, throughout the, book of the Old Testament, God's people were known as God's wife, Israel, God's woman. And so this is a picture of Israel. And it says he's clo- she's clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet. And, and these are just the lights that are in the sky to, to recognize the majesty of being part of God's family and God's promises. And just the glory of that, the moon under her feet. And then to further describe or to, to determine that this really is Israel, it says, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. And this would illustrate the 12 tribes of Israel. So th- this is the one that God has been working through. And then it goes on in verse 2. So it, the, the woman is Israel. And then it says, and, the, and she was with child, and she cried out, being in labor and in pain to give birth. So this woman, uh, who Israel, who is married, uh, the wife of, of God in the Old Testament picture of that wife, she gives child. Now, who is this child? Oh, this child is Jesus. And we celebrate that every December 25th. And one of the famous verses of that period of time is Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For unto us a child is born. And it goes on, describes who that child is, a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, eternal father, prince of peace. And then it also said, which is interesting, which has not totally been fulfilled yet, and, his, and the government will rest upon his shoulders. So, so God promised a child that would become, and it would come out of the seed of the woman, the seed of the woman who are, who are God's people, Israel. And so a child is born. And then it said in verse 3, Then another sign appeared in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads were seven diadems. And you say, well, what is he picturing here? Again, he's he's trying to get a a simple portrayal of the, the, the main combatants in this cosmic war. God's people, the people on his side, but God's people he made covenant promises with the nation of Israel, well, out of them, out of their seed, every nation and tongue and tribe would be blessed. And he said, out of that child, I'm going to bring one out of her seed, Genesis 3.15. There's coming a child who's going to be the promised one. And, and then there's going to be someone who's going to oppose all this, and it's going to be pictured as a red dragon. Now, at Halloween, sometimes people will, little kids will dress up as little dragons, or I mean little devils, right? They'll have a red suit on. Maybe a pitchfork, and they'll have what on their head? Horns. Usually only two horns. And if you have any picture, why is devil portrayed, the devil portrayed that way? It would probably be somewhat from here, though it's a little bit different. And, and, and the devil is portrayed as red, which probably would symbolize bloodshed. He's the one who's going to produce death and destruction. It is said of him that on his head is seven heads. And so why, why is this... this Dragon-like, and actually the word dragon uh, can be translated monster. It's a monstrous creature that's portrayed in a way that describes how 
the evil one has been opposing what God has been doing throughout history. The seven heads, as you look at Daniel and how Daniel portrays that which is to come in the kingdoms, there's seven kingdoms, world kingdoms. Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome, and the kingdom that is to come. And so these seven heads with the seven diadems, which are seven crowns, represent these seven world kingdoms. Six that have come and still is, Rome at that time. And then one is to come, the, one, the kingdom of the Antichrist. And then he adds, and then there are ten horns. And if, you're, if you've read through Daniel, we just read through that recently. In, in Daniel, he talks about these ten horns, these ten kingdoms that will rise up. And out of those ten kingdoms, there will be one horn in the midst of the three that were major there. But the ten, there will be one who will overcome all of them. And that is the Antichrist and his kingdom. But it will start with a confederacy of ten nations that will rule during this period in which and the Antichrist comes to power, and everyone is looking to this world leader. But as you look at what the red dragon, or the, the evil one, the devil, has done throughout uh, the ages, he's done everything to thwart God's plan. When God's people were in Egypt, and uh, there was a Pharaoh who knew not Joseph, remember that story? Um, that Pharaoh uh, oppressed God's people. And then as they began to multiply, they began to realize they're becoming too great. They will overcome us. And so they sent down the edict to kill every male child. And of course, this plan, who really, which really came from the pit of the evil one, had come to pass. Then the lineage of God's people would have been destroyed. But God protected that. In fact, if you look through the book of the Old Testament, you'll find out that actually in the lineage of the one who was promised to come, it got down to one child that God had to preserve so this promise that was given from the very beginning would come to pass. And so God is a, God's program has been opposed. In fact, it goes on in verse 4, And the tail swept away a third of the stars of heaven, which are probably symbolic of angels um, in heaven, and one-third of the angelic host. Uh, went with the evil one, went to Satan's side rather than God's side. Two-thirds of the angels remain in heaven with God. And these are now the demonic forces of God. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she gave birth, she might devour the child. And, and so this is kind of a taking through history. When, when Jesus came on the scene, when the Messiah, the one, the promised one, the king of kings, uh, came uh, to, to Bethlehem, Herod, once he found from three magi, there were probably more than three magi, but from the magi that came, he said, well, tell me where this one is to be born so I could give homage. Well, of course, he, that's not what he wanted to do, and so they were warned not to go back. But when Herod found out about that, what did he do? He sent out an edict that every male child would be destroyed. And so this red dragon who moves in the, in the hearts and minds of, of people, particularly those who are uh, evil leaders of nations uh, to bring death to, to God's plan. But verse 5 goes on, And she, the woman, gave birth to a, ch uh, to a son, a male child, who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up to God and to his throne. Now sometimes when you read this, you say, well, Mike, you, know, you gave me your interpretation of this text, and I didn't take the time to go through a lot of cross-references. But sometimes, even within the near passages, you can see why I would say the male child was Jesus. Because doesn't that fit Jesus? 
uh, the child who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron? Who's, gonna, who's that going to be? It's going to be Jesus. Uh, and this child that was caught up to God, who, who, who ascended to heaven? Jesus. And to his throne, who's sitting at the right hand of the throne of God? Jesus. So we have the woman playing that part of, of being part of God's prophetic plan, Israel, bringing the seed that is promised one to overcome Satan's plan and to give a death blow to him, the evil one being involved in the cosmic war to resist God's plan. You have the child coming um, to not only to birth, but to be um, brought up to heaven. Verse 6, and then the response, the, the Israel has to flee, and this now brings us into this period of time. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God so that there she would be nourished for 1,260 days. And this somewhat gives the timetable of this section in which we look at well, what is to come. If you look at Daniel's promise of the last 70th week of Daniel, there's going to be a seven-year period of time. It will be divided in half. And we're at the last half of this seven-year period of time, which if you were to count in terms of days, it would be 1,260 days. If you were to put it in years, it would be time, times and a half, which would be three and a half. If you put it in months, it would be 42 months. And as, as the evil one is enraged with God's covenant people being preserved, they have to flee. And the, and the serpent goes after him, the, the evil one goes after him, but God protects them and nourishes them and provides for them. And then we look back again at the story, that the story is, again, happening on earth as well as in heaven. Verse 7, And there was in heaven Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon, the evil one, Satan. The dragon and his angels waged war, and they were not strong enough, and there was no longer a place found for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who is called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. Um, um, he was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. Now, so the other major player in this is not only God's direct hand, but his created heavenly messengers who represent him, Michael's probably probably on the same level or plan or, or, or on par with Lucifer as far as the, the different type of angels God created. There goes to war. The, the good angels win over the evil angels. The, the demonic forces and Satan are thrown down to earth, and they no longer have access to God. So that's the players in the war. That's who is in this war that's, that's raging. Well, let's ask another question. What happens in this war? Well, we just read, Satan the accuser and his angels are cast out of heaven. Sometimes people, where, where is the evil one now? Where, where is Satan? Uh, Satan really is not residing in hell. The Bible says that he is roaming this earth. 1 Peter 5.8 says that, that um, we ought to be on the alert because our adversary uh, is roaming about seeking to devour us. If you look at what, what the devil does, the devil does primarily two things. It, it deceives, or he deceives, and he accuses. Have you ever talked with people about anything where you seem like whatever you're talking about is, is so clear and so understandable and they don't seem to get it? Now, now, some of those things, it's not that important. But on spiritual terms, you, you lay out the, the message of Jesus, the message of the gospel, 
and they just don't get it. They just, and not only they don't get it, but they don't want it. And just think about it for a moment. If this is true, why would anybody pass up on this? I mean, it just makes no sense to me. And yet there are many people, deceit and blindness, I do not want what God offers. I was just talking with Mitch this, uh, this, this last Wednesday, and we were, we were talking about people that you, know, you talk to about Christ, and they, and they just reject it. And often people reject it simply because they don't want God telling them what to do. They don't want to have God in charge. They don't want God to lead them. And Satan is about blinding people's heart to that. And that's what he does with those who don't know the Lord. Well, what does he do to people who do know the Lord? He's constantly accusing us. The word devil means adversary or enemy. He is our enemy. And, and the word Satan means he's our slanderer. He's, he's the one who accuses us. And, and when we feel overwhelmed, when we feel worthless, and I've talked with some of you at times this way, where you just, I mean, maybe you just had a week where you just messed up or you just felt defeated and you begin to wonder, maybe I'm not even really a Christian or how come everybody else seems to make it work and I can't seem to make it work? And you're just, you're just overwhelmed. You feel, I mean, you're lower than low. And I said, where do you think that thought came from? You think that came from God? That didn't come from God. That came from your enemy, the evil one. He is always trying to put you down to the point of, one, you'd question your salvation, and secondly, that you'd feel that you're worthless. There's no sense trying to live for God because you've failed too many times. The Bible says in Romans 8, who, who can bring a charge against God's elect? And that's a rhetorical question. That the answer is no one. Because there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But the evil one is constantly doing that. And, and so we need to realize that, that God says, look, I'm not giving you any more access to me. You, you, are, you are done. Okay, you're out of here. Don't, don't plead that case to me. There are so many passages in Scripture that talk about when we feel defeated, and, and, and there's a difference between feeling convicted you know, and feeling condemned. God never condemns us. He convicts us, but He doesn't condemn us. When He convicts us, it's the purpose of saying, this is an area, a specific thing in your life that needs to be changed. When, when we feel condemned, we feel like there's, everything has to be changed. He says, no, not everything has to be changed. It's this area. And then He might change another, this area. Satan... He doesn't convict us. He, he accuses us and condemns us. And, and, and so how are we supposed to, to win that battle in the war? And I, and I guess this is the takeaway home. Is that takeaway true? When, when we are experiencing the battle now, when we're something we're experiencing unexpected and unwanted, where we're, where we're feeling spiritually that it, we're so dry, we have nothing to offer God, we, we don't experience his, his joy or His fullness, how, how are we supposed to fight that battle? Well, in this text, he says this. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven, verse 10, saying, Now that salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come, for the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down. He who accuses them before our God day and night. This is, this is what happens. What do we do? Verse 11. And what are they going to do in this period of time? And they overcome him because of the blood of the Lamb, and because of the word of their testimony, and they did not love their life even when faced with death. So what happens in this war? Satan is cast out of heaven. But this point is so important. God's people win because of their faith in the blood of the Lamb, their verbal testimony, and their love of God more than life itself. 
Now, now just think about that for a moment. When, when we feel overwhelmed by how much we've messed up, how much we've failed, how much we've sinned, where we just feel, you know, just, you know, under the pile before God, God is saying, just remember what I've done. Is, is the blood of Christ sufficient to cleanse you from all sin? Is 1 John 1, 9 true? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God's people ought to, at times, be convicted about certain things in their life, but they should not go through their life feeling guilty because we've been pardoned from our sin. And, and, and the truth of that is that we are covered by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, and His blood cleanses not only as white as snow, but the Bible says in Isaiah, whiter than snow. You are clean in God's eyes. So you overcome the attacks of the evil one in the battle in the midst of the war by claiming the blood of Jesus Christ. Secondly, he says, by the testimony, uh, 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 by the word of their testimony, which simply means this. Sometimes we're, we're defeated because we're, we're not really in the battle. It's amazing to me. It's kind of comical to me. Sometimes I'll, you know, I'll hear sport reports and they'll, they'll talk about a player got hit by, by a, a thrown ball in the dugout. You know, he would never get hit by a ball like that if he was out on the field. But he's out in the dugout, he's probably talking to somebody, not looking around, and all of a sudden this ball comes out of nowhere and hits him. Okay? Well, we get hit all the time when we're on the sidelines. Well, get out there, out in front, and speak the testimony of the Lord, and, and you'll experience God's power because you'll be dependent upon Him and not just being on the sidelines. So, so be active in your faith. And there are going to be no secret Christians in, during this period of time. They're going to be active in their faith. And, and in this statement, and they did not love their life even when they faced death. We've, we've heard, all, probably all heard of this phrase. You're not really ready to live until you're ready to, to die. Well, you know, for the Christian, uh, actually for anybody, I mean, you know, the, what's, the worst thing that could happen to you is you could die. But for the Christian, the worst thing that could happen to you is actually the the best thing that could happen to you. I mean, I, I mean it's, it sounds strange, but Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is, is gain. We have nothing to fear about death. Now, I'm not advocating get up on the top of a roof without a ladder, okay? I don't, I'm not talking about doing foolish things, but I'm saying as we go through life, we, we don't have to afraid, be afraid of something that might happen to us and will die suddenly or slowly or whatever, however we're going to die. Because when we die, we're going to be with Jesus. You know, Paul told Timothy, you know, God's not given us a spirit of fear, but a power and love and a sound mind. And so we go through life not fearing that which mo people most fear. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15 that, that, you know, God has taken out the sting of death because we just go on to the next life. So when we go through battle, when we experience things unexpected, unwanted, in light of eternity, we say, look it, I'm forgiven. It doesn't get any better than that. I got, I got a purpose in life. I got something to say. I don't need to be on the sidelines. And, and then thirdly, I don't have to fear that which most people fear, which is death, because I, I've got life. You know, our verse for the month, or actually for the summer, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came that you might have life and might have it abundantly. That's what is happening. We are on the winning side, and we can win the battles in the midst of the war. And when will this fully come to pass? 
these next two points really quickly, it's going to happen in the future. Look at verse 13. And when the dragon saw that he was drawn down to the earth, he, pers- he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. And so, so the Antichrist and, and the evil one, they, they lash out in, in wrath against uh, Jewish believers during this period of time. But the two wings of the, the great eagle were given to the woman so that she could be into their wilderness to her place where she was nourished for a time and times and half a time from the presence of the serpent. And, and again, it speaks about what we just read. During that period of time, that Jewish believers will, will flee out of Jerusalem and they'll go to a protected place, quite possibly a place called Petra, in which is a narrow pathway into a kind of a whole city uh, carved out by rocks. And, and it's a place where you, you could not provide for yourself, but God will supernaturally nourish them and provide for them like, like his people he did out of Egypt. Verse 15, And the serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth and after the woman so that he might chase her to be swept away with the flood. And so the evil one knows where she runs to and he, he goes after her like Pharaoh did after the people of, of, uh, of Moses' day. But when he gets there, God destroys that army and their ability to overcome them. Uh, but the earth, and, and, and just a note here, part of the reason I don't believe all this happened in 70 AD is because there's no record of that happening, where the forces of Rome or other people went after Israel into the, into the outskirts of, of, of Palestine to, to somehow um, overcome them, and they were supernaturally swept away. Verse 16, But the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and drank up the river which the dragon poured out of his mouth. Now, I'm going to finish pretty soon. We're in a war. The war's been won. But even if we're in a war and the war's been won and the battle's still going on, I'd rather win the battles rather than what? Lose the battles, right? And so the battles are going on, and that's true not only for us, but it's also true for the evil one. This war is going on. The battles are going on. He's beginning to realize he's going to be the, he is a completely defeated foe, but he's going to, win to try to win as many battles as possible. He goes after the people of, of Jewish believers during that period of time. He is stopped. Okay, That angers him. He realizes, I can't get them, but if I can't get them, I'm going to try to get other people. And so in verse 17, it says this. So the dragon was enraged with the woman and went off to make war with the rest of the children who keep the commandments of God and hold fast to the testimony of Jesus. So he, after he goes after God's covenant people, can't get them, he decides to go out all, for all the other believers from every tongue, every nation, every, every tribe that we, we read about early that come to faith in Christ, and I'm going to go after them. Now, you might ask yourself, well, how, how does he know who are the ones he's going after? Well, you could say, well, and we'll read about this later, that maybe they don't have the mark of the beast. And if they don't have the mark of the beast, really, they're the enemy. Uh, but, but he's going to know that even more obviously. Okay? It's like, how do, how do people know I'm a Christian? Well, I have a, I have a sticker on my car that says Grace Hills Church. Or I have a, I have a little ichthus, a little fish on my lapel. Or I wear a cross. Or I have a Jesus hat. Or I wear a Jesus t-shirt. You know, is that how people know you're Christian? Well, I mean, it's all right to do that. But, but you know, I got the mark or I don't have the mark. Well, you know, that can give some kind of indication. Uh, but, but really, how do people know that we're on God's side rather than on, the, on Satan's side? It's kind of defined right here. Those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. 
People will know that you're a Christian if you talk about Jesus and you do what Jesus says. Isn't that true? If, if you talk about Jesus and you do what Jesus says, they'll know you're a Christian. Now, if you don't want them to know you're a Christian, don't talk about Jesus and don't do what Jesus says. Now, you might be a Christian, but they're not going to know it unless you talk about Jesus and do what Jesus says. So what's the point this morning? The point is we're in a war, but this war really has been won. And we run battles, we're in battles now, and they're going to be in battles then. There's going to be the final battle that will be the consummation of that war that already is known as far as who's going to be the victor. But we want to be people who are overcoming the enemy by trusting in the blood of the Lamb, holding to the testimony of Jesus, and not fearing life, but embracing life, because we know that God has His life. In, our, in his hands. Let's pray together. Father, well, I pray for each of us this morning that we might be people who want to live for Jesus, that we want to live in such a way that, that people can see Jesus in us. If there's anyone here this morning that doesn't know you, I, I just really pray that they might come to that point in their life, they admit their need, turn from their sin, believe that Jesus Christ paid the penalty for their sins and rose again, and then commit to follow Jesus as their Lord and Savior and live for him. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand as we sing this morning and close our time together, uh, just proclaiming that God's grace is what is sufficient.